0: And for me, something that I've always found really beautiful in music is the idea of communicating music as a tool, not only to find beauty, but also a tool to find humanity. And that's definitely something that I think is a value of Yellowstone and also has become a really personal value for me and my performance.
1: You've tuned in to how it looks from here, life in the time of COVID, Life looks different to you than it does to me. The way race and gender, education and work, and everyday circumstances combine in any person's experience, well, it's different. For every person, how it looks matters. And with every interview, we are truly enriched. It's helping. I'm Mary Claire, and today I'll be talking with Graham Stacey a high school student in Gardner, Montana, who next week will turn 16. Graham is a musician and scholar with a particular passion for languages and history. He's in the final stages of application for participation in a year-long program with peers from across the globe, the United World College. Graham speaks of the different variables contributing to how it looks to him. From living at the edge of Yellowstone National Park for most of his life, to being of a generation looking out on today's complicated world. Listen for how Graham sees the links between COVID, climate repair, community functioning, and the environment as a whole. It's all art. A conversation, as Graham says, between the optimism and creativity of the inner child and the generous wisdom of the inner elder. Today, I am talking with Graham Stacy, and he is in Gardner, Montana, and I'm in Bozeman, Montana. It's good to see you, Graham. Thanks for joining me today.
0: Yeah, definitely. It's great to see you, too. Thank you so much for, you know, giving me the opportunity to do this and have what I'm sure is going to be a great conversation.
1: Yes, yes. <laughs> and advanced Happy birthday.
0: Oh, thank you. Soon
1: (laughs) you will be turning 16. Yeah. That's a big dang deal. Congratulations.
0: Definitely coming up. I mean, this two weeks are being crazy. We're like right in the middle of it right now, but I just got out of, you know, ending international school applications and then going through um, state academic world quest, which my team won yesterday. So go Gardner.
1: Congratulations, Graham.
0: (laughs) Yeah. No, and then I'll be finding out if I'm into that school sometime this week and be turning 16 next Thursday. So.
1: <laughs> oh, my. Yeah. Yes. That really does speak to your internal ecology. You got a lot of weather moving through and it's not necessarily bad weather.
0: Yeah, no, it's definitely intense weather, but, you know, definitely interesting. It's like the idea of a flood that in the moment, it's really a little bit too much to emotionally handle the afterwards. There's a lot of really cool things coming out of it.
1: Excellent. I love that. Well, um, before we get going too far, let our listeners know, like, there you are in Gardner, Montana. What does that mean? Most people aren't.
0: Yeah. No, Gardner, Montana is a really interesting context. I mean, just tying back the idea of full ecology also is really interesting, both social ecology and real ecology. I mean, right here, I can look directly out the window into Yellowstone National Park. And then, you know, obviously that creates this incredible environment. But then beyond that, just from a social perspective, there's, you know, 200, 400, excuse me, people in my entire town, 15 people in my grade at school, et cetera. So that creates a really unique social dynamic, too.
1: Right. Right. You have had opportunity to spend time in in other places. Yeah. And here you are in Yellowstone country. And right now, when you look out the window, honestly, you're seeing Yellowstone.
0: Yeah, I am. It's Electric Peak right there. If I look lower, then there's the river, which is, you know, the dividing line between public land and private land.
1: Wow. And so talk about what your life has been like, how it's been for you in bad ways and good ways during COVID. What has that meant for you?
0: Yeah. I think that it's, it's definitely been really interesting because living in such a rural community, not that many things really have to change, and so not a ton of things totally do make this huge change. But definitely at first, we saw when you know, nobody really knew exactly what was going on, then everything just shut down. And living in a rural community, you're used to sort of this overly connected isolation and that you don't really have a lot of people around, but the people around, you know, really well, and you've known for a long time. Yeah. And so suddenly just losing all of these connections is really strange, especially when they're people that you've known for a long time and have known, you know, I've known most of the people in my grade since I was three. So even though there's only 15 of us, they do have that certain communication and connection. But as things started to open up globally, um, you know, a lot of places saw huge, huge spikes in COVID. And we really didn't so much because we have such a rural community that I mean, Even just, like, if we were going to have everyone in our classroom just, like, you know, just be a social group, then that would still fit within most, like, COVID um, boundaries. So it's a really funky situation. And obviously, it's still been really dangerous. It's still been an issue. But I think that definitely within this town, things have not changed so much. But within the activities that I compete in, et cetera, there's been these huge changes And I think that there's definitely been, you know, I've seen a lot of different perspectives of parts that haven't changed and parts that have too.
1: Uh-huh. So there in Gardner, have you been attending school or have you been doing virtual?
0: Yeah, I have been attending schools in person, but then, you know, of course, socially distanced, wearing masks, taking what precautions are possible. And actually, you know, we were definitely really worried about this starting in August since that's kind of a big step to make. But then... When it started, we haven't had a single case of COVID transmitted at school. Um, there has been one situation outside of school that then ballooned into like half of the high school getting quarantined. But school actually hasn't really caused any conflict at all, which I've definitely been fairly surprised by, but also really happy to see.
1: So there is, it sounds like there locally, there's big attention to contagion strands. And so if somebody even not in the school who's related to somebody in the school, the folks there, including the students, are on about keeping everybody safe and including themselves. Is that correct?
0: Of course, there are some people who will always say, like, you know, COVID isn't real. It's not an issue. But as a whole, the student body is really focused on staying safe. And the teachers definitely are, too. So it's really good to sort of be in that environment where people are definitely you know, committed to keeping a safe space so that we can continue to attend a fully functioning education system and you know try to make the most of a year even when a pandemic is going on.
1: What would you say, if anything, that you and your peers can see about this COVID thing that some adults miss?
0: I feel like for us specifically once again, I do live in a really unusual environment, specifically that you know, there's, you know, the national park right there and then a huge ranching community. So just from political perspectives, there is this huge difference. So I think it would really depend on what group of people you look at. Uh-huh. But I think that as a whole, what we have learned to focus on is sort of that trying to find that perfect balance of where you can really draw back and find your little group of friends who you can, you know, be safe with, etc. cetera, while still being able to exist and try to fully function as much as you can Um, and kind of we've definitely learned to straddle that line a bit especially since we are so young I mean it mom always mentions like oh it's so weird to see people wearing masks and for me this has just been you know a 15th of my life at this point so it really doesn't feel so strange right to have that around me and while of course it's strange you know it's definitely I've been able to adapt to it fairly quickly and learned sort of the nuances of that.
1: Yeah. And so how much of your social life has switched to virtual?
0: I've definitely had to draw back a lot of things, but socially, a lot of my, you know, points in life has managed to kind of stay the same, especially since I have, you know, really three close friends who I like to interact with. And so I can interact with those people while still being safe. And it's definitely been interesting from that front. But definitely there's been a lot of sacrifices too, and definitely a lot of changes within my personal interests, especially as a performer, and my extracurricular activities too.
1: Yeah, so speak to that. I know that you've just, you're right, like you were saying earlier, you're smack in the middle of this United World College application. Do I have that right?
0: Yeah, so essentially just, you know, UWC is a global movement that was created after World War II. And essentially the focus of it is that there is a group of people who are all sitting down at a dinner party And one guy sat up and said, and he was like, I wish that we could just educate people so that we wouldn't have to deal with this because these issues all just stem from a lack of education and exposure. Dr. Hahn, many people seem to think that the type of education in which you believe perhaps pays more attention to the physical side and outdoor activities than to pure academic education?
1: Um, no, I don't think so at all. The common view is this, uh, that uh, during adolescence movements become sluggish and awkward, uh, the coordination
0: of physical and mental efforts is lost, and uh, altogether there is a dimness in puberty, a malaise, which has been accepted uh, almost as a dogma,
1: and I regard it as my mission in life to unseat this dogma. I believe that the child's strength can be preserved unbroken and undiluted uh, through the difficult years.
0: friends were like, well, why don't we fix that? And so there was just a group of founders who all decided that they were going to create international schools at different locations abroad that focused on both providing a challenging education and also creating an international environment. And so essentially what UWC is, is, it is a consortium of 18 international schools that bring students from, you know, however many, 80 to 100 countries together And there's 200 students at each school who are all attending this incredibly rigorous high school program in a country that they've never been in before. And so the big focus of it really is, you know, what they like to call deliberate diversity. The idea of bringing people together in a way that is intentional and can create a really diverse um, community that is very much susceptible and open to growth. And the idea is it's kind of this global microcosm. You have people from all these cultures and you can learn to relate to different people and learn to interact with pe- different people and make the change that you want to see on this level so that then you can kind of extrapolate that onto a global scale as you move forward in life.
1: hmm How did you learn about it?
0: So Gardner has a really weird history with this movement in that we have had three people attend previously. You know, and out of such a small town, it's definitely a, a unique situation. And so... One of the girls who attended a while ago was one of my mother's art students, so you know I kind of knew her vaguely growing up, and then another person is the daughter of someone who goes to school, and so at some point when I was a kid, I just heard it mentioned, and I was like, that sounds really cool, when I was like however old, like eight or whatever exactly I was, and I was learning Chinese and doing violin, and I was like, I think I want to do this too, and so at some point I kind of committed, and I was like, yes, this is something that I would like to do with my life, and then you know, here I am at the last stage of applications, ready to hear if I've made it through.
1: This week?
0: Yeah, definitely. Kind of a scary pressure right now because about, only about a third of people who got to the last stage will get eliminated. But still, it is definitely really intense because even out of that half that remains, about half of them will stay in the U.S. and just attend a really, really cool international school there. And the other half will go abroad. And so it's, you know, basically my entire fate for the next two years I'm going to hear about in the next week.
1: And so were you to be accepted, you would be gone next year, for the whole year, for the whole academic year?
0: Somewhat. So essentially you go for your first semester and then you have a larger two-month sort of break and then you go for your second semester, very similar to how a college schedule would work. You come back for larger breaks, but then otherwise you are living either in New Mexico or in some country internationally.
1: And you don't know where?
0: No, not yet. I mean, they let us rank the schools that we would like to most attend. Uh-huh. So we rank all 17 this year's schools. Not only there's 18, but China is not accepting American applicants this year due to COVID restrictions. So this year, we rank all 17 schools on which ones we most like to attend.
1: So if you could go anywhere, where would you go?
0: So currently my top five, I'm all very emotionally attached to, really my top six. But my top choice is um, UWC Adriatic in Duino, Italy. It has a really incredible music program and also really cool history to the town and just an incredible student environment, too. And then after that is Norway, Costa Rica, India, Wales, and then Eswatini.
1: This is Mary Claire and how it looks from here. Stay with us. We'll be back after this brief break. What do you kind of get a sense might be exploded in your way of making sense of the world?
0: I mean, I was talking to my mother about this last night, but the simple fact is UWCU provide this opportunity that just is not possible staying in this town. And I go to a decent school for Montana, et cetera. But, you know, I'm going to sort of this global scale where then like, you know, most of their like a substantial amount of their students attend Ivy Leagues and Oxbridge and all of these different opportunities that are like truly something that living in Montana was never even imagined, like imaginable to me until i kind of reached this point where it's, you know, just really an arm's length away.
1: Oh, well, I, and I'm sure all the listeners are sending so much good luck and good wishes your way. Yeah. And (laughs) this time, talk about weather. You're right. It does seem like a flood for you. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. In all of this, Graham, what would you say from where you sit um, right now, looking out at Yellowstone, but also in the middle of your wild and precious life, what are the things that you care most about?
0: You know, that's definitely something that's come up a lot. As I've been ready to, you know, enter an entirely different stage, it's the idea of, what am I leaving behind? And is that something I'm willing to leave behind? And I think there's you know, obvious things. I have an incredible history teacher who, you know, is really great for that subject. And there's things like that that I care about. But what I've eventually realized is that I'm not someone who gets really tied down to one single thing in a location. And the thing that I find beauty in isn't necessarily a single connection. It's the idea of humanity and the idea of connecting to a larger global scale and the idea of just being able to relate and communicate, I think, is really big. I've, I've loved music forever, and for me, that is a language that I speak in. And so I think that moving forward, I want to be able to kind of relate to people through these tools that I find really valuable for me personally.
1: When I was a professor at a graduate school, one of the things that I would ask them in one of my classes was to write real quickly about a piece of land that jumped into them to help them know who they are what would you say is not just the land that has jumped into you and help you know who you are but what are the characteristics of that that show up say in your music yeah and in your passion for the connection across human difference
0: absolutely so i mean i think i, w- I live in such a really strange place i mean both in the sense that there's you know national park literally just right out there and i can you know if i wanted to i could just walk a mile over to the roosevelt arch and but also, beyond that, the community that it creates is super, super unique, and so i 've grown up in a place where sustainability is not only a value to strive to but also a value to live up to and I think that 's a really unique characteristic of Yellowstone and throughout my life it 's something i 've really grown to appreciate, and for me, something that i 've always found really beautiful in music is the idea of not only tradition and kind of sustaining these beautiful classic pieces. You know, I'm a classical musician, a lot of things, but also being able to find personal connection and a personal way of communicating music and using that as a tool, not only to find beauty, but also a tool to find humanity. And that's definitely something that I think is a value of Yellowstone and also has become a really personal value for me and my performance.
1: Okay. So along the way, there you live um, in this... um, let's say, the best attempt that we have up to now to preserve and take care of the natural environment. Yeah. Um, But it has its pluses and minuses. It has its successes and failures. What do you see of that? And um, what are the things that impress you about the way humans are interacting with the nature that they are? And what are the things that concern you?
0: I briefly worked in the park this summer for Yellowstone's Youth Conservation Corps during the summer, it can definitely be really scary to have all these people who, you know, once again, have the idea of short-term opportunity. And a lot of the times, it isn't necessarily the idea to connect. And a lot of the times, for some people, it can turn into this opportunity to exploit. And it's really, really horrible to watch that. And, and we watch people who, they love the opportunity, but do not know how to handle it. And so I think that's something that I've definitely learned is the idea that humans need to learn about what the environment is and what it means and what it, how it functions. And I think that when people are given the opportunity, then they learn the value of sustainability. And I think that when someone is not given the opportunity, they appreciate sustainability, but do not know how to exercise it correctly.
1: Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I'm feeling the link back to the interaction and the intersections of cultures.
0: Yeah, totally.
1: And other human differences. I mean, you name it. Age. We're doing age right now you know, and of course we've got race and ethnicity and spirituality and sexual orientation and physical ability, and yes, and geography. I mean, there you are speaking from a rural place and urban sensibilities are different. What wisdom would you like to pass on?
0: Totally. I live in a place where I've truly learned the value of deep human connection. I live with so few people and with this really small environment, I've really learned what it means to create deep bonds with people, because I've known most of these people since I was three, but also beyond that to create deep bonds with the environment. And I think that the, big, the really big takeaway is to learn the value of deep understanding. And the idea that when you truly do understand something, it really does gain so much value and it does not only bring value to you and enrich yourself, but also your society and the people around you. Then tying back to my personal perspective, once again, I think that what I can bring is the idea of, once again, the idea of deliberate diversity that I mentioned when talking about UWC, but the idea that it's not only diversity, that, you know, the labels that you put on people, but also it's the idea that every individual human is a diverse human, because we all create our own ecology, our own personal microcosm of the universe, and the idea of communication. I've learned to do that through musical theater and music and acting, but I think everyone can bring their own way of communicating to society and to relationships. And I think that's something that I have really developed over a long time. And I think that, you know, it's really beautiful to watch other people develop too. And that's definitely a personal skill that I think I do have. And then for Academic World Quest, one of the topics I studied was exploring peace in a world of conflict. And so I read what's called the Global Peace Index. And really, it is the most dreary thing I have read in a very long time. Um, I mean, for example, global peace has declined 0.34% over the last year alone, and 2.5% since 2003. And over the last year, the risk of extreme risk countries has jumped from 12 to 20 countries, or about about two-thirds. And really, there's all of these huge conflicts that are growing and extrapolating, but beyond that, in countries like the United States and the Netherlands and Iceland, we're only growing more peaceful. And there's this huge divide that is currently happening and i don't remember the exact numbers off the top of my head but oh actually i do never mind um, the four least peaceful countries saw on average a 14.4 percent decrease in peace and the four most peaceful countries saw a 4.6 increase in peace and so it's really interesting i think that's the big thing that is so important to look at is diversity and the idea of being able to bring people together and appreciate all perspectives because frankly the only perspectives that are currently really seeing this increase is ones that have been in historic positions of power you know countries that have imperialized and been you know white europeans frankly and so i think the big thing at this point in time is being able to look at diversity be able to look at the value of human nature and ecological nature and really be able to tie back and say, what have we historically done wrong, and how can we remediate that in the future, I think is something that should be a major focus in modern society.
1: Mm-hmm. And and it's really on the adults.
0: Yeah, I mean, right now, definitely. I think that um, the generation that I'm a part of wants to do a lot, but right now we aren't in a position to do that. And of course, there are changes that you can make when you're younger too, but sure. as lawmakers and as voters... And as people in governmental power, really, it's so important for adults today to be willing to, you know, educate themselves and take initiative to make the world better in the way that they, you know, see fit and a way that they think would be best for all people around them.
1: hmm So there's this notion in full ecology, well, it's everywhere, but that we draw on in full ecology of elderhood. And my position... Uh, And I don't know that I've heard this anywhere else, but is that there is an inner elder, that there is not one person in a body that doesn't have that, no matter how old they are. Yeah. That there is some benefit to getting older because the closer the reality of death is, because all these bodies are going to drop. The closer the reality of death is, the harder it is to deny and kind of ignore. Totally. Right? So there is something to elderhood being potentially, not always, potentially more operationalized in older years. However, so much of what you've said comes directly from your inner elder. Would you say that you have such a thing?
0: Oh, Definitely, and I think that within everyone, everyone has sort of a spectrum within them that they can tap into and utilize at different points in time. And I would definitely agree that this sort of inner elder and, I guess, a more aged perspective can be really helpful to look at society with almost a nihilistic point of view and be able to say, we need to fix this because we're running out of time and kind of look at that sort of, you know, lower side of the hourglass. But I think that with that also comes the idea of stability and this sort of really strong value But I think that on the flip side, there's also the idea of the inner child. Exactly. And that that inner child is so capable of seeing um, the possibility that the world has and all of the current issues that we can fix and the idea of optimism. But also, I think that within that, it's actually really easy to also get drawn into a sort of pessimism because there's almost this fear of stability. The idea that there's this constant growth and this really fear of being able to just sit back and say, what can we do to improve the world without necessarily making those huge structural steps right now and the idea of kind of being able to appreciate that point you know in between court trials and in between laws passage and just be able to think um what can i do with my personal ecology and with the ecology directly around me to you know really make the change that i think is necessary
1: graham what fun I so appreciate your taking time out of this kind of delightful, but certainly disruptive weather pattern you're living through.
0: Oh, thank you. I mean, I really appreciate this opportunity to both, you know, express my personal ecology and also really be a part of yours for today.
1: Yeah, very cool. Um, okay, thanks. Graham referred to ideas from the book, Full Ecology, Repairing Our Relationship with the Natural World, out April 20th from Heyday Books. Information on that release will be in our episode notes, as well as links for the Full Ecology virtual launch event set for Earth Day, April 22, 2021, and hosted by death penalty abolition advocate, Sister Helen Prejean. And a quick pitch for our podcast. If you're liking what you're hearing here on how it looks from here, make sure to subscribe. Let's get these perspectives out there. Tell your friends and family. Share a link right now with someone you know who would enjoy hearing how it looks from another viewpoint. You can find us on Spotify or wherever you find your podcasts. Keep listening and be in touch. How It Looks From Here is an educational collaboration between Full Ecology and the System Zoo How It Looks From Here was created and produced by me, Mary Claire, and Joe LaVisca. Editing by Joe and Doug LaVisca. Music by Cedar Mathers-Wynn and Gary Ferguson. You can find us on social media at www.fullecology.com. Support for How It Looks From Here comes from our listeners, like you.